Welcome back, everyone, to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have a guest today, an author. Her name is Lisa Marciano, and she is a podcaster, a Jungian analyst, a therapist for many women around the world. She's authored two books by Sounds True. The first book is called Motherhood, Facing and Finding Yourself. And the book we're speaking about today is called The Vital Spark, Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire. She is also the creator and the co-host of a very popular podcast called The Jungian Life, in case you guys want to check that out. We had a really incredible conversation talking about getting women's vital spark back and what does that mean. So a lot of times we're told to put down the aspects of ourselves that are not acceptable in society. And Lisa had the the most, it really is a, it's an incredible book. I really couldn't put it down um, because it created a a deep, almost like an onion layered description of how concepts such as shrewdness, disagreeableness, desire, being tricky, using your sexuality, anger, authority, and even ruthfulness can help you get your power back in a different way, get your spark back, get your, um, Take away the conditioning of what you think is right and wrong and how to and how to act. And in the book, she uses examples of fairy tales and ancient stories combined with real life examples so that you can kind of put yourself in the position of the character she describes as they're finding these parts of ourselves um, of themselves. Today in this podcast, we specifically talked about envy and jealousy, the differences and how that affects you if you're the receiver or you are the person who was always envy or jealous because that was always a concept I didn't really understand and I had to ask her questions around it to really understand what what it means and um, we talked about you know overworking doing you know too many things and not receiving so the ability to give and then receive I really loved Lisa. I think she's an incredibly intelligent woman that has made an amazing career and is now sharing all of her work with women through these books. Um, But The Vital Spark is coming out next year in February 2024. So she is just speaking about it before it comes out, but you can find her on her website, which is listed in the notes below. If you enjoy this podcast, Please come on, leave a little five-star review. It really, really helps. And share it with your friends. Go and text it to somebody. They may learn a lot from it too. Uh, I hope you loved Lisa as much as I did. It was a beautiful conversation. If you have any questions for me around motherhood, birth, reproductive medicine, healing any parts of yourself or even finding, you know, a new life, reach out to me. If you have any questions, you can find me at mysticalmotherhood.com or on Instagram, you can DM me at mysticalmotherhood. Send me a message and I look at that occasionally here and there. Sending you all love for the holidays. Enjoy this podcast. Um, Lisa, I this is an honest opinion. Your book is excellent. Like excellent. I really couldn't put it down. And I love books that I'm able to like, for example, 
Bill jump into it, but I had a dream just a few nights ago. Three things mm. happened with this book that were magical. So I love when I have questions come up in my life uh-huh. and I can open up a book and receive an answer. And wow. I remember when I first started my spiritual journey, I would use books as answers before I had like a connection to God. Yeah. I knew yeah, how to, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was when my synchronicities were beginning and it was when I was like, oh, I can have a communication with another source. And then I don't, you know, God or the God, whatever, would use books to receive my answers, right? Sure, yes. And this book, and I hadn't had that for so long because now it's direct and it's so different for me. And so now it was like I opened the book and everything was answered. I'll give you some examples once you introduce yourself. but. I have to tell you immediately, I had three experiences where it was just like immediate. Oh, that's really great to hear. Yeah, Thank so it so shows much. me that it was kind of a channeled piece mm. and that it was intuitive and that there's there's power to it. There's true power to it because it wouldn't, there was no way it could do that for me. Right, right. Unless it was. Right, right. So congratulations. Yeah, I, Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. That's so tell me, know. introduce yourself to everybody. And why you wrote this book and your mm-hmm. name and what your work is, and we're excited. Mm-hmm. So my name is Lisa Marciano, and I am a therapist and also a, 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 um, a Jungian analyst, a certified Jungian analyst, and I'm a writer and uh, and a podcaster. And uh, this is my second book. My first book was Motherhood, Facing and Finding Yourself. And it was about how motherhood can be a journey of uh, spiritual growth and development or psychological growth and development, if we're using that frame. And and the second book just sort of followed on that one. Um, I just realized that I had a lot to say on the topic. We, My podcast hosts and I had been talking about uh, kind of women's initiation, and we'd done this episode, and it just had a huge amount of energy for me. And I thought, oh, there's something there. I want to I want to see if I can write about it. And I didn't know um, what my main idea was until about a month before the manuscript was due. And then it just really came to me. And I, I, I figured out exactly what the book is about. Oh, okay. So in it, you a couple of things I want to ask begin to so the name of this book is called The Vital Spark. And it's called To Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire. Yes. And thank you. I so I love that. when I when I write, I write books too. And so mm-hmm. the breaking down of the books is the fun part for me. And I personally write like each section at a time and I have no idea what's going to come next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just listen to the section that's supposed to be birthed. But you say you're you're going to help women break free from conditioning. That muffles out their power and their desire for life and their, like what you're saying there, what was the word you used? Um, initiation into their mm-hmm. own power. And mm-hmm. you broke this into eight core concepts. And mm-hmm. I, I love that you use specific examples of women and we can go into there because I, I read about Allison and Suzanne and was really good because I really connected to certain characters in the book, mm-hmm. but you broke mm-hmm. it down into shrewdness, disagreeableness, desire, Trickiness, sexuality, anger, authority, and ruthfulness, and almost made these negative kind of things that we're supposed to hide as women into the power that that and you 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 convinced me. Because at first I was like, ruthfulness, anger, 
Mm-hmm. And there was one quote you, you know, like, that's not okay, you know, like disagreeableness. Yeah. And then I was like, how did she get away with this? And then you did because you showed examples <laughs> of how mm-hmm. women, um, we are so polite and we, and then I want to give a few, I know I'm talking a lot because I'm so excited. It yeah, was really that yeah, good. Yeah. But uh, one, one quote you said, it was a page 33. I love this quote. It said, sometimes forcefully um, standing up for ourselves can be a profound gift. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and protecting ourselves from envy and, you know, being rewarded for the hard work. I want to talk about these different things and how you came up with these concepts first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I, I guess, you know, probably every book is in part a confession, right? We wouldn't write things if they weren't deeply personally meaningful. So I've had my own experiences of, developing these qualities in myself. And I've been a practicing therapist for or over a quarter of a century. I work mostly with women, not exclusively with women, but I've seen a lot of women's journeys. And I would say that every woman I've ever worked with has had some of these issues. You know, not every woman struggles with all of these eight concepts. And by the way, I'm sure that, you know, someone else might come up with a, a, a list of different eight different concepts. Maybe someone else would have six or 10, but but these are the ones that I've seen really echoed in my own life and in the lives of the women that I work with. And I think they emerged out of both my clinical work, but also out of these fairy tales that had become really meaningful to me. And I, I knew that they each contained this sort of seed of uh, these important qualities that are difficult for women to approach. I mean, you're what you're saying. I, I've presented now twice on this on this book, and in the, the first time I presented, someone said, "Well, I like what you're saying, but I cannot I cannot stand by the term ruthfulness. We 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 should not you know we should not be cultivating that." And then the, the next time that I presented, someone said, well, I think it's terrible to encourage women to be tricky. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't ever, I wouldn't ever want to teach my daughter to be tricky. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I said, well, being tricky has saved my life. So uh, I, I, I hope I've taught my daughter to be tricky sometimes. <laughs> so I, 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 I think it's absolutely true that we hear these things and we immediately recoil from them. Like, I'm not supposed to be that. I'm not supposed to be disagreeable. I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm not supposed to be, you know, desirous. I'm not supposed to, you know, embrace my sexuality wholeheartedly in a way kind of selfishly um and 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 there's just a, a lot that we have to overcome as women in order to step into these qualities now with these kind of things i think like if women take these things and see how Okay, either they're within them, the disagreeableness, the desire, the sexuality, and they can own them, but they're always going to see them within other women. Mm-hmm. And either they're, and this is, I'll give you an example. I want to use the example of envy because yeah. it's something that like I, I, and some of these things, when you, when they exist within you, I feel like it's easier to recognize them within someone else. Yes, and then when they, or that's at least for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally bad. I've been yeah. through that. Yeah. But then there's some things that I I hadn't experienced in my past or, and you know, it takes time or years to experience those things. And then you don't recognize them in another person. Mm-hmm. And so when you experience them, 
you're like, what is going on? Why is that woman acting that way? And one of those examples you gave was um, Allison and it was protecting ourselves from envy. And it was so funny. So I have a few examples of that, but I was walking with a girlfriend as I was, I was walking out. When I go on my walks, I always call my friends. Right, right, right. And there I said, let's go on a walk. And they're in California and we walk together. Yes. And we talk and she was telling, and I was reading your book and I hadn't read this section yet. So this is one of those magical moments where she was telling me, now she's very successful, beautiful woman, beautiful home, two children, dog, not needing to work right now, but can go back to work with her masters from, you know, USC, like just Mm -hmm. a beautiful person, really loving, had a mother. Mm -hmm that was always jealous of her. Mm. And then she, and so she's Allison. I, I saw her yeah. as Allison, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and I never have been jealous of her because she's my friend. I just didn't, I've never really experienced that, but I've had other mm-hmm. people experience that through me. So it's an interesting, which we'll talk about. And so my friend says, you know, I find myself degrading myself when I speak to women. Like when I speak to certain yes. people, I put, I, she's like, I talk about the negative or I'll make something a little bit more dramatic than it is. Or mm-hmm. I'll lie about little things to play myself down. Yep. And I said, yep. Oh my gosh, I, I found myself. And, and, and then we lie and say, Oh, that's humbleness or that's this. And she was Allison in the book. So I would love you to talk a little bit more about that was just a great example. Cause then I opened mm-hmm. your book up. Yep. And it was the answer. I was like, no, we don't have to play down. We have a huge success or we have these things to meet other people where they're at. So they're not envious of us. So can you help us with that? Yeah. So I I would say we can't necessarily prevent other people from being envious of us. But like you're saying, if we can recognize that that's what's happening, we'll be able to protect ourselves better. So I put that section in, in the shrewdness chapter because I think that becoming aware of others' envy requires that we be really honest with ourselves about what we have. So we do tend to default to downplaying our strengths and our gifts, even you know, even if it's just hey, we had we we got really lucky, and I don't know, we, our our husband happens to make a lot of money or something. People could be envious of that, and we could say, well, it has nothing to do with me; it's just luck. But okay, but it's yours. Own it. You know, um, I, I think that envy is very real, and uh, it's not uncommon, by the way, for parents to be envious of a child. That is, there is that's a real thing. Um, but anyone can be envious of it. And I've worked with many, many women who um, have been kind of subject of envy. They'll bring in this story of, you know, their mother, their coworker, their bra- boss, their friend, their sister. And, and I'll say, you know, it sounds like that she or he, but often she might be envious of you. And the woman will say, well, I, you know, it's like blank. I don't understand. Because in some sense, that woman hasn't let herself see how fabulous, intelligent, beautiful, fortunate she is. And when I start asking, you know, I, I went through this the other day with someone and, and uh, you know, there was someone in this person's life who was behaving in this way. And I said, I, I said, you know, this is this is uh, some petty stuff here, but it's real, okay? I said, what does this person look like? And the woman I was working with kind of demurred, and she said, well, I'm, I've always been prettier than she is. And I said, there it is, you know? But it was hard. It was hard for this woman to admit that, you know, it was hard for her to admit to me. She felt embarrassed even saying that to me. 
And it was hard for her to think that there might be envy, but envy, envy is real. And if we don't let ourselves know about our own gifts, we won't even be able to think that someone might be envious of us. And then we do what your friend did or what Allison did, which is to kind of constantly downplay ourselves. And sometimes it's referred to as fawning. So you, you put yourself down a little bit, you cultivate a kind of self-deprecating sense of humor, you play up the negative things. And what that tends to do, if someone's envious of us, it's like blood in the water. It doesn't usually call them off. It doesn't usually make people um, leave us alone. In fact, it invites more attack. So, uh, you know, there, my, my advice in the book is know what you've got. Be aware of that. Be aware that others might be envious of you. Be matter of fact about it. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't, if you just got a great promotion at work and you know your friend's likely to be envious, you know, either don't share it or share it in a very clipped way. You don't have to downplay it, but you don't, you don't have to open yourself up to that person's envy. You can um, know that you, you are all of these wonderful things. And if there's envious attack, you can just stand right there, stand your ground and uh, not, not be ashamed not be ashamed of having what you have or being what being who you are. Lisa, um, can you teach us how do we learn to to see those things within us? You were saying, you know, like we we are open to attack and we don't see other people are envious because we don't see those parts of ourselves that are so magnificent and beautiful. And and so, how do women begin to cultivate that? And then, how do we navigate, you know? being as you become more magnetic people that will you know how do we navigate that and how do we begin to see all the beautiful parts of ourselves how do you teach your patients that well i think i think first of all it's important to know that envy is real and and envy is a powerful force and it is a powerful motivator for many people and you know as you alluded to before in some ways, Jung said, the best way to deal with the darkness of other people is to know your own darkness. So notice where you're envious, because you're envious of somebody somewhere. And, you know, I can look at myself and I can recognize there was there was one time when I was, uh, this was many years ago, <laughs> but I was with another mom. And, um, you know, she, the, she had a kind of lifestyle that I was envious of. And she was talking about some great vacation that she was going to be taken. She had young kids just like I did. And, you know, uh, we as a family had decided not to take a lot of vacations when the kids were little because we figured, you know, it was just going to be a lot of money and the kids weren't going to remember it. And it would just be like trying to deal with nap time in a new place. So we sort of said, we're, we're not going to do that. But here she was going off to some wonderful locale. And I found myself saying, yeah, but won't it be hard? Won't you just be dealing with nap schedules and everything while you're there? And I, and I, you know, half an hour later, I thought, damn, that was envy. I was trying to spoil her trip. And I could see it clear as day that that's what I was doing. Somewhere we do that. And every one of us does it. So look at yourself, look where you're envious, and just be honest with yourself. You know, the thing about jealousy 
And I, and I say, you know, I make a distinction between jealousy and envy because I think that envy is where you're trying to destroy either the thing the person has or the other person, just like I was trying to do. It's like, well, you're not going to have fun when you go to, I forget where it was, even the Virgin Islands. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to curse you and tell you that you're just going to have to be worrying about naps instead of enjoying yourself, you know, because I am envious of you. So I don't want you to have the good thing. Um, but but jealousy, what I could have done with that information is I could have turned it more toward jealousy, which would have told me that that is something that I wanted, that I wanted a break, that I wanted to get away, that I wanted to be able to do something a little frivolous, even though we had young children. I didn't do that. Instead, I turned it against her. So notice where you uh, have that, that peak of um, irritation when someone has something that you want and use it to learn more about yourself and about what your priorities are and what you want. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to be willing to take an honest assessment of yourself. And part of the reason why it's hard for women to know that they're fabulous is because we're kind of, <clears throat> we're sort of taught not to because we're taught that that could make someone else feel uncomfortable. Men are not taught that as often. I don't want to say that men never have these issues because I don't think that's true. I think that men can have the issues that I talk about in the book, but not nearly to the same degree. So women are taught, you know, you have to be humble. You don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. You don't want to boast. You don't want to brag. You don't want to be too big. You don't want to be too special. But but take a look at that assumption that you have to be small to make sure other people are uncomfortable. Really look at yourself. You're going to have strengths and you're going to have weaknesses. But really, what are your strengths? Let yourself know them. Let yourself honestly look at it. You know, I, um, I read years ago something that I, that I like and have put into practice at times and shared with my, many of my clients is to write down the compliments that you get. Not the, oh, I like your hair today. But like the compliment you just gave me, that you really, really thought my book was excellent. That was a heartfelt compliment. And it, I, it went in. I took it in. And if I were in that practice now, I might write it down today in a little book and let myself know that. Let myself know that you thought my book was really excellent. Mm. Not to let my head get big, <laughs> because I'll get plenty of criticism later on today, trust me. <laughs> But, but to, to at least to let myself know that, to, to have that. And I, I think if we can let ourselves know the honest, heartfelt um, compliments, as well as the critiques that we receive, it's important to take both in. Mm. And, you know, as you're talking, Lisa, what I kind of thought about is envy's all, envy versus jealousy. Envy is the part of the subconscious that thinks it could never get that. Exactly. And then jealousy is those um, moments, those triggers, or those moments of like expansion of like, instead of just having going deep into that subconscious, it's like, oh, I can have this. This woman is showing me that I can. And yes. so the envy feels a bit more dangerous as a friend yes. to be in. And I actually thought that there was a person I... I'm pregnant with my third child with my oh, new husband and it's one of the most beautiful oh. um, things I've, I've ever, and I haven't really talked about it, but there was some envy with people comments and things that they would say like, Oh, don't get pregnant. Now your child's going to have autism. 
Uh, and I'm like, what? And I thought yeah. about that, that, that when you said that, it was envy, not yes. jealousy. And so yes. that's that deep subconscious thing yes. versus jealousy. Because there are some beautiful women that I see and there's they trigger me. And then I'm, I'm like, oh, that's because I, I look yes. up yes. and I, and I, you know, but for envy, I've never really had that deep subconscious thing of thinking anything's impossible because I don't know why I was programmed with that as a child, but the mm-hmm. jealousy I can see in that. I, I appreciate you differentiating mm-hmm. those because. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're just right. I think that envy, that spoiling, that desire. I mean, I, th- I think of envy as the desire to, to spoil, to attack, you know, it's, it motivates that dark thing of, I want to destroy that thing. Um, just like, you know, I wanted to destroy my friend's vacation and your friends want to destroy your pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and you're you're exactly right. I think it comes from a, a, sort of like an assumption that I can't have that thing or, or I shouldn't have that thing. Whereas I think that, I mean, jealousy can be exquisitely painful. And sometimes when we're jealous, there's a feeling of longing, like I want that thing. And it may feel impossible, but it also doesn't feel quite as impossible and we can lean into wouldn't it be great to have that thing wouldn't it be great to have that tropical vacation or that third baby right and they become an expansion of a new experience of this is beautiful so if we can you know look at the it's a way of really looking at your subconscious programming and then redeveloping yourself and everybody becomes a mirror and it's incredible just a Mm -hmm. really beautiful way of looking Mm -hmm. at things so the next one i want to talk about i have so many little things Mm -hmm. there's three the crocodile dream thing i don't remember her name Mm -hmm. we can you can choose which one you want to go to next and then there was suzanne and she was being she did she was the one who suzanne gave everything she would you know go and i don't i don't know what she did specifically but it's kind of she she thought if she overgave I think that was her character. She overgave. Mm-hmm. She kept giving to people. She would receive. Yeah. Yes. And I want to talk about the difference between, you know, overgiving and and hoping somebody's going to give back and then not getting upset about that, but then overgiving and then there's an entitlement of you owe me because I gave you and that's yeah, yeah. manipulation. Yes. Yes. Which a lot of women use manipulation and victimhood as a huge negative power, dark struggle. So yes. how do women become aware of their, their victimhood manipulation and how we use giving as a tool? And, you know, is it, when is it from the heart and when is it not? Does that make sense? That question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Then, and I, I, I love your, your language and your framing. I, I think that that's really true. And by the way, I think, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunately really, you're right. It's really common for women to do this and perhaps more historically because women were shut out from other ways of, um, you know, having career satisfaction, for example. So they they might tend to put all of their, you know, energy into their kids and then th- th- this kind of dark unconscious thing where they feel really resentful and, and, you know, sort of an endless appetite for, you know, X, Y, or Z. So, um, you know, I, I, how can we tell when it's one versus the other? Um, you know, the, the, the truth is that they're, I mean, I say this a couple times in the book. I want to say that I think some of what we're talking about is um, probably innate to being a woman. I mean, I, I, you know, people could disagree with me, and this might be really horrendously politically incorrect, but I'll just say it. 
you know, it seems to me entirely plausible that evolution prepared us to be caregivers more so than men. You know, it seems like that would be helpful in terms of making sure that there are more generations of humans. But of course, some of this, maybe a lot of it is also cultural. So we're expected to be giving, we're expected to be caregivers. I can't tell you how many times I've worked in organizations where, you know, the 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 jobs with a little bit of glory and power are much more I'm, I'm thinking of like volunteer organizations and that kind of thing it's like who's going to raise their hand to do the job that has some glory visibility and power well the men are really interested in those jobs and there's a whole lot of metaphor, metaphorical coffee that has to be made in a lot of volunteer organizations and not always but often the women doing the, the people doing those jobs are women, you know, so we do feel, you know, kind of um, uh, duty bound, I think, to give and give and give. And, and it can come from a real spirit of generosity. But we have to check, I think, if, you know, where is that edge where we're expecting something back? I mean, I think one of the darkest places this comes up is with our children. Um, if we have just given and given and given, and then we expect something back. So, you know, I, I work with some, um, you know, adults uh, who have these kind of difficult relationships with a parent, often a mom, who just expects a lot, expects a ton. And it's like, where is that entitlement coming from? You know, and it 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 is this sort of frustrated desire that never got claimed and now it's kind of being put onto the kid. So I, I would just say, you know, the way to guard against it, again, as with any anything else really, is self-reflection. Where do you feel resentful? And uh, take a, when you feel resentment is so poisonous, it, it's a really poisonous feeling. And it's related to what you said a minute ago about envy, because I think that resentment comes from that same feeling that we feel like we're not allowed something or it's impossible that we'll get something. And then we become bitter and resentful. And if you feel that, really query, where is that coming from? Where have I disallowed myself something? You know, there's a quote that I use in the book that I think is really relevant. Edward Edinger, the Jungian analyst, said, we only look to others to give us what we have not allowed ourselves, what we have not given to ourselves. It's a paraphrase. But where have you not given something to yourself? And now you're looking for someone else to give that to you. Oh, so you're saying that's a really beautiful way to put it is you're saying is a lot, check yourself. If you're giving and giving and giving in this area, and then you become resentful for it, yeah. you're actually needing to receive it. Yeah. And you're needing to receive something that, that you is, haven't allowed yourself. Yeah. And then you haven't allowed yourself. So when you're, cause I, I am a giver, I get a joy from giving mm -hmm. and I, and I know there's, and there's this, there's this thing called the giver and the taker relationship in yoga. And mm -hmm. it's, it's like a concept they say in every, in every relationship, there's a giver and there, there's a taker. That's how they teach it in this yogic philosophy that I learned. Mm -hmm. And the mother, there are certain relationships that are universal, such as the mother should always be the giver and the child should always be the taker. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, obviously, we can know that that gets flipped. And that's when that you create that deep resentment. But when you're in relationship with another female or another male, 
there's always the giver and there's always the taker. And you can know who that is. This is how they define it. Is if, if the house burns down, when you run out of the house, who's going to be the person that holds the other one together? Mm-hmm. And whose aura or whose energy field is bigger? Mm-hmm. And so if you know you're the giver, then you continue to give and continue to give and you give joy from giving. Like just you look at the joy of giving and that's a part of your personality and the taker then has to give back to the giver so the giver can keep giving. Mm-hmm. And so only one person has to know who's who. Mm-hmm. And I guess it becomes negative is exactly when you're saying with the parents, like I had a grandma that was, you know, gave, but then there was so much conditions around that. And and so I thought about all the things she gave and I don't think now, I don't know if she ever gave it because she wanted to. Yes. Because it gave yeah. her joy because it gave her so yep. much resentment later. Mm-hmm. So how well, do you- and Yeah. I mean, I think we can also really enjoy giving, but then it's, there's that kind of slowly boiled frog phenomenon where we give and give and give. And in the beginning, it feels good. It feels natural. But but we stop paying attention to it. We just kind of keep on compulsively doing it. And maybe even just in little ways. So there's an example that I use in the book about a woman who um, kind of wakes up to the fact that she's really angry at her husband because she's been that giver and giver and giver and hasn't really gotten much back. But, you know, the important the important thing in her story was that she needed to learn that it was on her to ask she hadn't really taken responsibility for that. I mean, you know, in, in in all, you know, good good intentions and everything, she just thought, oh, I'm doing the right thing by giving. But really, the resentment was building up, even though she wasn't even aware the resentment was building up. That's that's the kind of scary thing about resentment is it it can it can just sort of fester unconsciously. So, so again, the answer is kind of consciousness and self-reflection. And when you do start to notice that there's resentment, ooh, boy, then you know there's some work for you to do. And do you usually think it's in a feminine, if it's the feminine that's giving and not receiving, is it usually, at, at least what, what I see with people, it's a communication issue. Um, that they They kind of usually had resentment in their, in their past and their trauma. So they're trying to recreate that energy of resentment, either from a parent or from a grandparent or from an, and so they overgive almost to create the Mm -hmm. resentment Mm -hmm. so that they can say, see, you never give to me. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, and and it's like, well, you never communicated. You needed that. So who's Mm -hmm. at wrong Mm -hmm. with it? Mm -hmm. So how do you help women to communicate like what they need Mm -hmm. to, to receive? Yeah. Yeah. There is such a dance, right? It it really is a, a dance. And so it's not, um, it, it's, it's not as simple as like, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's the guy's fault and he's a big jerk or whatever. It's like, okay, what, what, what was the dance that you were doing? Well, again, I mean, I think if, if someone comes in and feels that resentment, then we, we start to unpack it. Like, um, what, what are you, you know, what are you feeling? I mean, sometimes we don't know what we're feeling, that's the thing is sometimes we don't know what we're feeling. But if I if I think I'm hearing someone talk about that, I'll ask more questions until we can say, wow, it sounds like you're really resentful. And then be able to kind of put some language on what's been happening, what's been your role in it, and what can you start to do differently? So, um, you know, one of the... You know, the, the, the thing about resentment is it, it really is like kind of leaking anger. And, uh, you know, um, 
the, the, the fairy tales kind of teach us that that this can be dangerous. Anger can it can be destructive, but then um, you know if we if we channel it the right way, it can be really powerful. And when do you think anger creates that you know that that spark that we need? Is it when like I love that that quote I'll repeat is sometimes forcefully standing up for ourselves can be a profound gift. And I think that's the anger you're kind of saying is like, it's okay sometimes to be angry and to say, this mm-hmm. isn't okay anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah. That, that's yes. Part? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the fairy tale that I use in that chapter, I think is so, um, I think it's such an amazing tale and it's short. It's this, um, it's a fairy tale from Africa and it, uh, it just, it starts that there's a couple with a small child making their way and uh, they're both tired. There's not enough to eat. They've got a long way to go. The baby is tied on the mother's back. And the man is uh, depleted. And uh, he says to his wife, his wife has this amazing ability to change into any kind of animal that she wants to. And he says to her, you know, there's some wildebeests out there, you know, change, change into a, a leopard and go catch us some dinner. And she looks at him. She says, do you really want me to do that? And he says, Yes. So she unties her baby, she puts the baby down, and she transforms herself into a leopard. And the man is looking at her, and she's snarling, and she's, you know, slathering, and she's right over the baby, and he's aware that the baby's in danger, and he gets so scared, he climbs the tree, and then she runs off, and she catches something, and she brings it back, and he won't come down until she's transformed herself back into a woman, which she eventually does, and, uh, he, you know, he, he, she says, never ask me to do man's work again, which, I mean, you know, this is an, an ancient story. And so this idea of man's work and women's work is a little, you know, sounds a little off to our modern ear. But the point is, she was being asked to do more than her share. And I think most women can relate to that, at least oh, sometimes yeah. being Sweet. asked to do more than our share. And, uh, you know, it, 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 um, it took her getting angry. I mean, I see her transforming herself into a leopard as kind of an image of that's what, that's what it's like to get really angry, right? You get, you transform into, at least that for me, it's like I've transformed into a wild animal. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but it's like, but it's like no. I mean, childbirth is a time that we do that, what we need to transform into an animal. Yep. And then there's moments when the rage you just, I mean, if you allow yourself to go there, but it clear. I think that kind of anger clears more things faster. It's like a fire. Yeah, and it's yes. using the energy of fire just to say, okay, this is enough. We're going to clear it right now, and then you're never going to want to see this again. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't come again. It's like she probably never transformed into that animal again because mm-hmm. it was never necessary. He never asked yep. her to do that. Right, right, right. At so, least not with him. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a really good story. And yeah. also in your books, beyond the fairy tales, you used dreams mm-hmm. and not in too much, not in like, you mm-hmm. know, in a way that was super potent and the dreams were relatable and you, how do we, as you know, going in our day-to-day lives, I, I do have profound dreams here and there, love them. Mm-hmm. And then when they, and I don't always know what they mean, but then there was, I had a dream the other day. And then of course, another magical moment. Oh, was, great. <laughs> and there, there was this woman in the dream and she was living on my, I had a beautiful, I always dream of homes, houses for mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. I'm in a new house every night. 
it's incredible. And maybe I use it as my place to like leave my body. I don't know, but I entered this and this house mm -hmm. was a amazing house. And there was somebody living on my land and just taking advantage of me. And then this crocodile came by and then mm -hmm. I open up your book and there's a crocodile mm -hmm. in the dream. And I was like, Awesome. So let's break it down. So tell us how we break down dreams and how you use that in your, in your therapy sessions with, mm -hmm. your, with your patients. Mm -hmm. Well, um, being a Jungian analyst, uh, I work with dreams a lot. That is one of the things that sets a Jungian analyst apart is that we love dreams. We work with dreams whenever possible. We believe that dreams bring in the uh, other perspectives. So we have our conscious perspective, but there's also the unconscious and the unconscious you know, it's not that the unconscious is some oracle that has all the answers, but it does know something different than consciousness. And so, uh, isn't, isn't that great to get this other perspective? So, we look at dreams as being meaningful, as coming with a message from the unconscious that is in the interest of wholeness and healing. So, even if it's frightening, it's there to tell you something. It's there to maybe shift your perspective a little bit. Um, I mean, dream interpretation is... Um, you know, not something I could sort of break down in a few sentences. I will say that we're working on, a, like my pod, fellow podcasters and I, we we always record um, a, an interpretation of a dream every week on our podcast. And we have a book coming out in, later in 2024 on dream interpretation. So if you really want to find out how to work with your dreams, I'm super, super excited about that book. So that, that will be a resource. But I mean, I would say that, um, you know, just begin by getting curious about them and write them down and, and, and sit with it and assume it's a message. Assume it's a message from your inner guide. And even if it seems like it's kind of criticizing you, maybe see if you can open yourself up to the message. Um, that, that would be a good, a good place to start. And even just bringing that attitude to your dreams will will get your dream maker talking to you more because the dream maker is always there, but it really perks up when it senses that you're listening. Oh, so you're you're saying the dream maker becomes as part of consciousness or maybe even a discussion with source or God of your own. It's another way of looking it, rather than going into meditation and tapping into the subconscious and like we we're talking about with the mirrors of people, then there's the deeper unconscious world of these dreams where you can write mm -hmm. them down and see if, like, it's often with me with dreams is like, is this, like, I'll give you an example of a dream. I had mm -hmm. one, and there was this woman that I worked for in real life. And I'm deciding whether or not I could ever go back and work with her. And there was a lot of issues with it, which I had never really had before. And I'm like, is it me or her? I couldn't mm -hmm. tell. And mm -hmm. in this dream, she was hooking my Achilles tendons with these deep hooks. Ooh. And she's like, this is for your benefit. This is for your benefit. And I'm going to heal you. And I've had a couple of Achilles dreams where people are trying to catch me. Mm. Um, how do you tell if it's a message as a warning? Like the crocodile dream yeah, I had yeah. with this woman the other night of is, is I don't think I'm the crocodile. Mm-hmm. I don't, but she was walking with the woman. So is the woman the crocodile or how do you tell the difference between the warning or the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good question. So in it, we mostly assume that every element in a dream is an aspect of the dreamer. So let's let's take your, your dream about the, the former boss. So one way of looking at it would be that she is an aspect of you. And then I'd be curious, what is she like? 
Where is that dynamic showing up in your life? And then we might ask, how are you hooking yourself and holding yourself back? Um, you know, and, and uh, how, how does that relate to kind of a pattern of yours? Now, it's not always true that it refers to the inner world. Sometimes it does refer to the outer world. It generally, the dream is likely to refer to the outer world when there's someone in it who is a part of our daily life and they appear kind of realistically. So your dream about the former boss is, is a potential dream where it might be about the outer world. But it's not like it's saying, it, what, it's, what it's revealing is some aspect of the dynamic between you that you're probably not conscious of. So it might be that she, for example, if we assume the dream is about the outer world, it might be that this boss, I'm just kind of making this up, you know, really, really did try to hold you back and wound you all the while telling you that this was for your benefit. And, and that, but that would be something that you wouldn't already know. And then it might be like, oh, yeah, okay, here's something I need to take on board is that there's something that's going on below the surface that I haven't been attending to, but that I need to know about. Whereas if it's an inner dynamic, that's, you know, and by the way, it can be both. Like you might have an inner ex-boss that holds you back. And that would require some really deep work because I guarantee you, even though that is a destructive aspect of the psyche, somewhere in that there's some medicine as well. And so you would be tasked with getting to know that aspect of yourself and, uh, and, and trying to decide what, how, how it needs to be transformed or, um, uh, you know, how, what, what you need to learn from it. So, you know, one specific way to think about it is um, a, a formulaic way of thinking about same-sex figures in dreams. Not always true, but a good place to start is that there, there are aspects of what Jung called the shadow. So the dream might be saying, hey, look, your shadow is the sex boss. And that would mean that she represents an aspect of your personality that is there that you don't want to know about. It's some unsavory part of yourself that you want to believe is not true. So maybe it's, um, I'm going to make it up. Maybe she's really super, um, you know, kind of um, uh, like manipulative, let's say. And it's like, okay, well, where am I manipulative? And how is that maybe holding me back or wounding me in some way? Or how am I doing that to myself? Or where is that in my life? So those are some of the questions to begin working around it. So that that's so powerful. So you're saying, basically, look for, I mean, as I heard you, this is kind of how I interpreted it. First, look at it, every aspect as a part of yourself. Yeah. And yeah. then if it doesn't really match up with that, then look at it, you know, as a part yeah. of like a warning symbol. So with this woman, actually, her Achilles heel or her weakness was always wanting to be bigger and like never being in the moment of like, wow, look at all I created. Uh, just be there. And I'm in that right now. I'm learning how to just be in like, look at what I've created. And then I'm always on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Like this is, I could do this more and I could always write in this book right. or I, gosh, I should travel to that country or, and I'm where I wanted to be for so many years. Can I be in that moment? So mm -hmm. I think with that, it's, it's so beautiful to look at the dream as something, you know, rather than just a warning, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's great. That's great. So then the, the dream is sort of, it is just sort of alerting you to your tendency to skip over the present 
and enjoy what you've created and go on to the next thing. And and what's great about that is that, um, you know, usually if you have a dream and it seems to conf- confirm something you already know, like, i.e., my boss is a jerk, you probably haven't understood it. So dreams will almost always tell you something you don't already know. And what if they tell you something you know? Well, it the, the, in my experience, when if they tell us something we know, we've either misunderstood the dream, or the dream is, or the dream is like, "Hello, you you knew this, but you've forgotten it, or you need a reminder, or you know it, but you're not acting on it." Mm, okay. So, to the listeners, this is how many layers this book has. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and I, it's like, so I couldn't even like introduce your book and describe what it is as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I love books like that because there's, you know, there's, you have, you know, you, it's like an onion. You have the, you know, the fairy tales, you have the dreams going on, then you have the characters, then you have the eight concepts that you're breaking down, but it's woven together in such a form that you can relate to each woman and mm-hmm. open up and hear her story and be like, I've been there, or I know someone who's gone through that. Mm-hmm. And I found myself taking photos for my friends and being like, oh, remember when you went through this and, and saying, mm-hmm. look, there it is. Some, you know, like that's what makes sense about it. And that's what like deep psychology and breaking down the subconscious is all, all about. No, oh, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I mean, that's, that's why I write, right. That something I say might resonate with someone and, and be helpful. So that's lovely to hear that you had yeah. that experience. Anything you want to tell us about the book um, before, you know, like your Mm -hmm. favorite parts of writing it or things that you're like, I just want to share this. Yeah. I mean, maybe you just, you just sort of said something that, that sparked something for me. You said it's kind of hard to describe and, 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 and I appreciate what you're saying that that's lovely that, you know, there are all these different elements and, uh, but I did, I said a little while ago, oh, I didn't know what it was about. until almost before I turned it in. But I, I think I do want to say what it's about because there is sort of one big idea that flows through it and maybe that would help listeners orient to it, which is, and I this is kind of a, para, a paraphrase of one of the sentences in the book, it's my thesis statement, um, that there are qualities like um, nurturing and kindness and um, attunement and warmth that help us get and stay connected to other people. So whether that's friends or family or coworkers, and those tend to come pretty easily to women. We, we tend to kind of default to those. Those are often encouraged. And then there are these other qualities, like the eight qualities that I talk about in the book, like assertiveness or ferocity or ruthlessness or disagreeableness. And those qualities may make it hard for us sometimes to be in connection to other people, but they help us get and stay connected to ourselves. And both ways of being in the world are important. I'm not saying we shouldn't sometimes be kind, agreeable, selfless, and nurturing, <laughs> we should. But ideally, we'll develop the discernment to know when a situation requires a different kind of approach, and we'll develop those abilities within ourselves. So, when I talk about ruthlessness, for example, I'm, I'm not saying you should become ruthless. I'm saying you should develop the capacity to be ruthless so that you can use it when it's needed. So it's it's not, yeah, you should just suddenly become this terrible, unkind, 
um, manipulative, uh, cruel person. No, but but when you need to be ruthless, and and by ruthless, I I'm I mean the ability to do something that's in your own interest, even if it's going to make someone else feel uncomfortable. So I'm not I'm not necessarily talking about you know physical violence, hopefully. But, you know, um, I think one of the examples I give in the chapter is, uh, you know, years ago I was, I was seeing a psychologist and it wasn't a good fit. And I was kind of aware that if I left that the person was going to feel um, a little wounded. I could tell that that was going to be the case, and I think it was. Um, and I, I kind of had to find my ruthlessness to say, you know what, this is not working, I'm going to move on. You know, that took, that took a kind of ruthlessness. So, um, you know, we, we want to be able to develop that because it helps us stay true to ourselves. So that's, that's, that's the big idea. Well, ruthlessness, it's a lot of people function their whole lives based on lying Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. ignorant of their lies. And if you really look at your consciousness, when you really begin to look at your consciousness, what you find is that you're completely ignorant And most people are completely ignorant and they think that everybody else is causing their problem. We know this. Everybody else is causing their problems and not themselves. And so when you begin to break down that, you know, that persona, that pride, then you are become ruthless with yourself and that complete truth. And so Mm -hmm. then the more truthful you become with yourself, the more that you can be truthful with other people and they get offended, mm-hmm, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's not really ruthless. It's just right. who we should be. And I find yes. that the most truthful people are the most powerful people that mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, again, I really appreciate your framing because I do think we're, 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 it's hard to be honest with ourselves and especially when our truth is going to inconvenience someone or make them uncomfortable or. Right. So. And that was a very simple example you gave of ending a, a relationship. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, these relationships that are not necessary, they take up so much space and then we're not allowed to have anything. Not, you know, I think when you end one thing, another thing comes in really quick because mm-hmm. you're clearing space and that becomes yeah. power. And that's where ruthfulness and truth is essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like yeah. that. Thank you so much. This was a beautiful conversation. Oh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, good. Okay. And how can people find you, find your book, mm-hmm. and reach out to you if they want to work with you even? Um, so my website is lisamarciano.com. And um, you can find information about both of my books there, both The Vital Spark, uh, Reclaim Your Outlaw Energies and Find Your Feminine Fire, and my previous book, Motherhood, Facing and Finding Yourself, which is kind of like a prequel to this one in a way, because it talks about how motherhood can help you develop some of these qualities. Um, And I also have a, unfortunately, I don't have room in my practice right now, but you can listen to my podcast, which is thisunionlife.com. And I have an online fairy tale group for women called spinningstraw.com. You can find out more about it on my website or just go to spinningstraw.com. And we do a different fairy tale every month. So, Oh, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. 